Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is really, really good to be with y'all. Um, so my name is Garrison, and, and I'm uh, the kind of lead pastor planter here at Veritas Dayton. And uh, really, really thankful that you're here this morning. Uh, if this is your first time with us, uh, man, we are, are so glad that you're here. Um, and, and we would just ask that, that if you would, uh, take a moment to fill out the Connect card that is attached to the bulletin that you received when you walked in in the morning. And uh, if you would fill that out, and, and you can put anything on there. Ask for more information, and, and someone will be in contact with you this week. Ask for more information about gatherings. Or, or we, we also meet in smaller groups throughout the week called city groups, and, and we serve the city together and share life together and, and talk about the Bible and the sermon together. So if you're interested in that, please uh, ask for more information on the Connect card concerning that. Uh, or if, if you would, uh, there's a little space in there for prayer requests. And it would be uh, our honor, our joy to pray for you this week. Um, so please, if you would, go, uh, go fill out the, the prayer request portion of that. And, and I, would just, I would love to pray for you this week. And, and other leaders would love to pray for you this week. Uh, we would count it an honor to do that. Um, so this morning we, we have a, a, a guest with us, and, and I'm so, so happy that he's here, uh, Pastor Nick Nye, uh, and he is a very, very close friend of mine. He's the lead pastor of Veritas Columbus in Columbus, Ohio, and so I spent three years there uh, learning um, from them, but learning specifically from, from this guy. He taught me everything he knows, uh, and so now I know everything he knows and everything I know, so I know a lot, uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm really really thankful he's here. Uh, there's not there's not been many people that have influenced me the amount that Nick Nye has, and I, I'm so incredibly thankful for him. Uh, a, a few things that I caught while I was up there. Uh, number one, one one of the things I caught from Nick is uh, just a relentless um, pursuit of preaching the gospel to the people of God every single week. I, that's one thing that I caught from Nick that I highly value. Another thing is a, a love uh, for the city that you live in, a, a, a desire to serve, a desire to care for, a desire to love the city that you live in. And the third thing is a love for the church. This guy loves the church. Uh, they planted Veritas Columbus because they love the church, not because they're mad at the church or they want to uh, you know, start something new that's better than the church down the road. And, and that's the same motivation for us here this morning. They've, they've, they've kind of, uh, I've, I've caught that from Nick, and, and hopefully we, we have that same sort of culture here. And so Nick planted uh, Veritas Columbus eight years ago. Holy smokes. Uh, he is the husband of one wife, Brittany. They have four children. They live in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I'm so incredibly thankful for them. Can I pray for you? All right. Uh, Father, thanks for uh, Nick and his family, and thank you um, for Veritas Columbus and, and, and all um, that you're doing in and through them uh, in Columbus and in Ohio and in our nation and in our world. Um, and, and Lord, uh, we just ask that as we uh, approach the word, as Nick opens the word and, and preaches the word uh, to us here this morning, that you would um, help the um, words of his mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our, our rock, our redeemer. Uh, Lord, would you open our ears, would you open our eyes uh, to hear from Jesus and to behold Jesus, and, and would you soften our hearts now to receive him? 
Um, and, and Lord, we, we ask that you would sanctify us in your truth. Lord, would you make this word effectual in our hearts and, and help us to, to go from here at the end of the morning, uh, not just hearers of the word only, but doers of the word, serving our families, serving uh, our church, serving our, our coworkers, serving our, our, our city, and, and loving our neighbor uh, as ourselves, just as Jesus taught us and, and perfectly displayed for us. Uh, and as we see in these Ten Commandments, to love you and love our neighbor, Lord. Uh, help us, um, Lord, this morning. We, we need you. We're dependent upon you. We can do nothing apart from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I guess in light of that introduction, I should say, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, Garrison. Um, I feel like I, I, I may have, I could have done a lot better job. Um, <laughs> being helpful, and, uh, but it was, it was truly uh, great for me to spend um, three years almost daily with Garrison. Um, we shared an office, we shared ministry, we had tons and tons of conversations all the time about how the gospel influences every aspect of the church, and uh, Garrison was, um, one of the things that he did that I sorely miss to this day was really help develop a lot of my preaching. Um, the, for three years, he uh, did lots of research for all of our pastors at the church to be able to bring a lot of research and depth and uh, quotes and articles and books and resources and just brought so much of that uh, to our church. And, um, and one of the great things, too, about getting to see him day in and day out as I get to really see his character in real life, not just uh, up here in a, in a pulpit or behind the scenes, uh, but, but seeing it behind the scenes has uh, been just truly uh, a joy for me and um, for many of our, of our, all the leadership at Veritas Columbus. And so um, I, I just, I, I want to, I want to honor him. I, I just preached First uh, Timothy a while ago of, of this call to honor our pastors and honor our elders. And um, I think Garrison, um, though, though I've been able to serve as a, as a mentor, um, in many ways he has pastored me, and I want to show him honor and just uh, know that he is worthy of honor, double honor, as First Timothy says, um, really to show him that because he has, uh, he has been a laborer of the gospel for many years praying for you guys. And, uh, and, and, and also, you, are, you here sitting today are an answer to many, many years of prayer. Um, people in Columbus have been praying. The Greens have been praying for you. It's so good to be here and uh, come on the first Sunday uh, several months ago to celebrate that and to see uh, people, people I went to college with. Uh, it's just so great to be, uh, be here to see it all in action. And so you guys are, are a dream for me to see come true. And I know the Lord has been working and has been molding and is shaping hearts. And I think the best is yet to come, that the fact that this is where Veritas Dayton is, and it's just starting. But today, I, I want to join you in working through the Ten Commandments, um, focusing our time on the Second Commandment. So if you're able, would you stand um, as we listen to the Word of the Lord being read? Listen to the uh, Second Commandment here. In verses, or sorry, Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. 
You shall not make for yourselves, for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. You can have a seat. All right. So when we talk about the Ten Commandments, um, a lot of things I imagine come to mind for us. Uh, for me, I- I'm thinking, Garrison, are you crazy to start off talking about the Ten Commandments in a new church, right? Because we all kind of come with some baggage. Me, even if you're not a Christian and you're here, you probably have a little bit of baggage with the Ten Commandments or just things that you bring into this thinking, what in the world is the Ten Commandments all about? Is it just a bunch of rules, um, right? That's what Christians are kind of known for. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't have fun. You can't hang out with people that do have fun. We can't do any of that stuff because we're Christians and we're stiff and we're, you know, we, we, we've, we, we're religious. Um, so we see this as a list of rules and uh, it's overwhelming. And some of you who are rebellious, probably like me, you're like, this is a bunch of rules that are meant to be broken, right? Uh, so uh, we just we just, we just jump on board and say, yeah, I can't meet any of these standards. I can't get all this. I don't, so I throw it all away. Throw Christianity all away. Throw the Bible all away and say, we, don't, we just don't need that. We can't, we can't live up to that. And uh, if that's the way to have relationship with God, then count me out because there's no way. I mean, commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, if I'm honest, and I hope you are too, like, that's like, okay, failed. I don't need to read the rest. I failed. Um, and then the second one, of course, goes deeper into that. But I think what we need is to stand on a firmer foundation that sees this law, sees these Ten Commandments um, as a way to understand ourselves in relation to God. So my goal, um, my goal is in focusing on this commandment is that basically to say, don't worship idols. This is what it's saying. Don't worship idols, worship God. Sounds easy, right? Today, don't worship idols, worship God. Right now, don't worship idols, worship God. Um, It's twofold here, but to examine, I want to examine the making of idols. How do we make idols in our life? How are you probably sitting here right now crafting and creating an idol in your heart right now? now as you sit. So I want to look at that, but I also want us to not leave here just discouraged and bummed out like, man, I do nothing but make idols in my entire life. This is terrible. I'm breaking the second commandment completely and fully, but I want us to leave here thinking of how we fight these idols. How do we fight them? This is important. So we have to, we have to take heed to the fact that he does say, do not, do not. So we must see the big picture in this command that God created us, um, us images. He created us as images for worship, not to worship. So let's start by looking at the making of idols in our lives, the making of images. I'm using that word interchangeably. It's used interchangeably. Um, Idols and images, created images. So let's look at that first. Now, when it comes to talking about an image, there are two routes we can take. One 
is seeing humanity as an image for worship. We really have to understand our purpose, our role, why you were made. That as men and women in this room, we are carved images of our King Jesus, created to worship God. And then the second route is that as image bearers, as as image bearers, there's this commandment not to carve images to worship. So we're created to worship, but we're not created to carve images for worship. Let me talk about humanity as an image for worship, for worship. First, let's look at that. When I was um, four years old, I first learned the N-word. Um, I learned it because my parents adopted a little boy who was biracial, my brother, and I grew up in a neighborhood that was super racially charged. I mean, it was so much racial tension in my neighborhood. Guys down at the end of the street had Confederate flags as curtains, literally, in their house. Um, many times in my neighborhood, I, we got our windows shot out. We got called names all the time, but the N-word, which I struggle with, the N-word uh, was the, the word that really triggered something in my soul, triggered something in my heart. So my brother and I, we got into a lot of fights growing up. Um, we got into a lot of fights with a lot of our neighbors, and I remember being at the bus stop as a little kid and being called an N-lover. I'm not going to say the word. Um, and hearing people calling my brother calling him that. And I hate that word. I hate that particular word to this day. And just hearing the word or seeing racism exposed as I think we're, at nas- we're having a national conversation about this and, and there's so much dialogue in, in the, the media and so much people weighing in on all of this and so many conversations. I'm personally having all this. Sometimes it just bubbles up in me, this, uh, this, my upbringing of me trying to understand my past and understand how I, uh, how I, the words that I was called. And sometimes that puts me in this fighting stance because that's all I knew it to be is a fight. Why? Why does it do this? Why does it make us squirm in our seats to think even of that one word? Why does it make us feel awkward? Why does it make us tense up? because it goes against everything we're created for. The reality that we are image bearers of God. And even in that word, it can display for us a disruption in that reality. Because it's saying that somebody is not made in the image of God. It's calling them less than. But the reality that we have to capture first that we have to root ourselves in, is that we were made on purpose. God doesn't say if you were born in a good Christian home or if you were born in happiness and stability, God doesn't say I only create image bearers that are without problems or morally good and upright citizens. He doesn't do that. God doesn't make losers. 
God doesn't make throwaways. God isn't worried if you were born in a hellhole of a home or out of a background of pure evil with idolatry all around. He made you and he designed you for a purpose to worship him. So that's our call. That's our role. That's our foundation here as we sit in this room. You were designed to worship God. And that is rooted in the fact that God is a worshiping being himself. We're created in his image, right? After his likeness. So that must mean he is a worshiping God, which is fascinating to think about God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as a triune God, one God, three persons, where God the Father is looking down at his son Jesus, and he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, and the son is standing in the waters of baptism looking up and saying, I have come not to do my own will, but to the will of my Father to give him glory. And the Spirit comes along and says, I am drawing all people to see the glory of, in Jesus Christ, the image of the firstborn of the Son of God, and that he is pointing back to the Father, and the Father is pointing down to the Son. And it's this beautiful dance of worship that is happening within our own God. Do you see and feel that invitation? It's an invitation. Come and join in this. You were created to be a part of this because God is that. God is worship, always worshiping. And so our image is for worship. Our design is for worship of God, but God knows. God knows, and we know, that our worship is misdirected. Right? Worship is there. It's always there. It's always on. It's always happening. But there's a disruption, misdirection. It, it, it's, and it's, it is, is replaced in carvings we make. We mistake these idols, these created images, as being worthy of worship. And this is where I want to go next, looking at humanity carve, car, uh, at humanity carving an image to worship. How do we carve an image to worship? See, carved images, or again, idols, come up over and over and over again in the Bible. This is constantly an issue that's going on because when the going gets tough in life, when we stop hearing from God for some reason, when God feels like he is going dark and we, we can't hear him, he's not making himself obvious enough, maybe God is shouting from the rooftops, but we're just too dense to get it, right? We're just not paying attention. We're not, we're not looking to the lilies of the field or the birds of the air, as he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not looking to obvious things to hear from him, to find comfort in him. We just aren't getting it. And so when we get to this place where we're not getting it, what do we do? We grab whatever is tangible. We grab whatever seems the most relevant at that moment. So what did the people of God do after Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and gives them to him? They have a golden calf. They're like, God wasn't here. He wasn't present with us. He, he didn't make himself known, so we made this golden cow. We can touch it. We can feel it. We can hear it. Our natural tendency of you and I is to worship those things, to cling to those things, especially in times of need, which is why John Wesley says, in his natural state, everyone is born, and everyone born in this world is a rank 
idolater. I love that he uses the word rank, because we are, aren't we? Just rank idolaters. We can make up an idol in any moment for any reason with anything and cling on to that no matter how dumb it actually is. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about these idols. What are these idols? I want us to start really digging deep in our souls and figure out what these idols are. Is it just a golden calf? Okay, we don't do that, so we've got that one covered. Is it uh, a statue? I'm sure many of you don't have statues around your house, lying in your windows with candles and a little place to kneel. I'm sure many of you don't have that, so you're like, okay, um, that's not me, but let's jump into the New Testament and help us understand what it is to have an idol. Romans 1.25 says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. We see that idols aren't just carvings made by hands, but they're comforts made by hearts. Let me say that again. They're not just, they're not just carvings made with hands, but they're comforts made with our hearts. They're not sinful things, but good and basic things that are elevated to become ultimate things in our life. We look to these things for meaning in life, to make up for a sense of insignificance or uh, for developing a, a righteousness or worth in Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a little statue. It doesn't have to be a physical object. It can be created in our mind, in our hearts. So how do we know then? If we're making for ourselves a carved image, if we are worshiping idols, how do we see these? How do we identify these? How do we know when that idol is rearing its ugly head in our own heart, and our mind? It, it, it might be obvious to us. There may be times when it's completely obvious to us, but it might not be so obvious. So how do we know? Well, English pastor uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he gives us some, he gives us some handles. Um, on these carved idols. He says, an idol is anything in our lives that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. Anything that is central in my life, anything that seems to me essential. An idol is anything by which I live and on which I depend. Anything that holds such a controlling position in my life that it moves and rouses and attracts so much of my time and my attention, and my energy, and my money. We see that we were created to worship. But how do we know if the needle of our hearts is pointing to Jesus, is pointing to God? How do we know if that's where our hearts are truly pointed or not? This is a life long question. And this is one that I'm not saying I'm going to answer here in full and you got it and you're like, okay, I took the great notes, so I'm going to practice it every day. It's a lifelong question because they change. We need to begin asking practical questions like, this is a really practical one, what do you spend your money on? Why do we default into certain postures when something happens? happens, when bad news happens, when good news happens? Why do we default into anger, into lust when we see that one picture or when we have this one opportunity? 
Is our idol people-pleasing? Pursuit of riches, sex, power, what's there? What is in there? Well, I want us to ask that question, but Richard Keyes, who wrote a book called No God But God, talking about this idol idolatry, he points out that idols come in pairs, that there are these idols that rear up and we see them like anger, lust, power, money, these things that we see that we can tangibly see in our own hearts and we can look at our bank account and we can ask a friend who may be willing, very willing, to point that out. But as Richard Key says, it always comes in pairs, that the idolatrous action is always a result of something deeper. It's a result of something we're worshiping. So let me give you some questions. If you are constantly angry, if you are seeing anger come out in the way you discipline your children, as I often see where mine comes out, Amen, girls? Do you see that come out? Well, then I have to ask myself, is there something that is so important to me, that's too important to me, that's causing that? Something I'm telling myself I have to have. Perfect children? Is it a reputation that is for all that would assume the pastor should have this particular reputation? Is there something I think that I have to have? That's why I'm angry, because I'm being blocked from not having something that I think is necessary in my life. Or let me apply this to worry. Some of you who worry all the time, who see in your life, when you look at your calendar, when you look at your schedule, when you look at your work, when you look at your schoolwork, all of that, you're constantly worried, asking yourself, is there something I have to have? Is that why I'm so worried all the time, so scared, because something is being threatened, which I think is a necessity when it's not? Or if you're despondent, you're, you're hating yourself, you're constantly just so frustrated and angry at yourself all the time, asking yourself in the same way, is there something that I am telling myself that I have to be? Is, this, is there an expectation that I have to be? That, that, is that why I'm so down? Is because I'm not meeting this expectation because I've lost or failed at something which I think is a necessity. It always comes in pairs. Let me give you some more questions. What do I worry about the most? What, if I have failed or lost it, would cause me to feel that I don't even want to live? What keeps me going? What's the fuel that keeps me going? High fives and praises? Those are good. Those are very good. But is that what keeps me going? So when that stops... Is it gone? What do I rely on for, or, or find comfort, comfort myself with when things get bad or difficult? Is it going shopping? Is it drinking? What prayer unanswered would make me seriously think about turning away from God? Do we give God some ultimatums, some threats? God, if you do not answer this, I'm done. I'm done. What makes me feel most self-worth or what am I the most 
um, the proudest of? What do I really want and expect out of life? What would make me really happy? We've got to do some work in digging deep into our soul to see where's the needle of my heart pointing. What am I worshiping? What are the, what are the images that I'm creating? What, are the, what is the comfort that I'm running to? We have to dig deep into our own life. So as we uh, stand before this commandment as a mirror to our soul, as we stand before this and say, Lord, I know that the needle of my heart is not pointing to you, and I know that I am designed so that I worship you, help me. I want us to learn how to fight. I want to get in there. I want to know how to fight these idols. If, if, if we shall not make for ourselves these carved images, then we've got to learn how to run. We've got to learn how to fight. We've got to learn how to flee. We've got to learn how to avoid. So how do we do that? How do we do all of that? Well, in the church, we are guilty of mistreating idols, I think. We're very guilty, and I, I think I see a lot of younger people here, so I imagine that we've been handed this playbook from uh, an older generation that moralized idols, idolatry, to te- that tells us that the, the answer to uh, these idols is just to stop it, repent of it, or simply tell you to change your behavior, cover it up, or maybe we psychologize is that a word? Psychologize? It's a word today. Uh, maybe we psychologize our idols. We say, God loves you just for how you are. Rejoice. Relax. It's all good. God loves you where you're at. He loves you how you are. And we focus on the feelings of guilt or struggle and, and call a change in feelings by calling us to rejoice. But I think there's something deeper in all of this. Because I think the gospel... The good news of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection for us, applied to us, tells us that we are looking to something else besides him for our happiness. So I think the gospel is calling us to be a people who do repent, but who do rejoice in the good news in, 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 in Christ. But we also replace our worship. Three R's. You'll never forget it. Repent, rejoice, replace. The good news is that Jesus takes us to the heart, to the deep wells beyond behavior modification. Uh, So we shall not of the idols in three ways. If you're taking notes, these are three things that we can practice every day to fight these idols. First is repenting. We have to name the idol as we talked about earlier. We've got to name them. What have you built your life and your heart around? Write it down. Like physically write it down and start looking at the, 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 the pair that goes with it and start asking yourself deep questions. But then this is the most important part of repentance. Unmask the idol. Because you know what? When you're in the thick of it, that idol will do whatever it can to tell you, hey, you know what? This is where it's at. This is going to satisfy. This is going to help. But but unmasking it says, no, it's not. That is a lie. This does not fulfill me. This has not fulfilled me ever in my life. It has actually made me feel worse. It has actually created in me a deeper dissatisfaction. Unmask the idol. See how dangerous they are to you and those around you. 
and see, most importantly, how grievous this is to our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what repentance looks like. But secondly, we rejoice. We rejoice. This is equally as important. We rejoice. Generally rejoice that God has given salvation to you even when you worship something else, that he has given you grace upon grace upon grace because uh, of, of Christ's work in your life. He is he is, knows that you've given yourself over to something other than him, but yet he shows you grace and brings a deep invitation into your life. We rejoice in that, but we also rejoice particularly. We rejoice particularly. So when you feel temptation, when you see yourself drawn to these other idols that are out there, when you find the seduction being brought into your life, we see the anxiety welling up, the anger coming forth, We know that Jesus Christ has died particularly in spite of that anger, that sexual lust, that anxiety. He made himself better than those idols. Rejoice that he has made his joy better than what you spend your money on. He has made himself better than that anger, that, 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 that idol. Psalm 1611 tells us that we are to, to declare and, and, and what we have, that we have been bought with a price in Jesus Christ's life. We have been set free from those particular idols and that we are invited to walk with him. In, and he has made himself better than that idol. So we repent, we rejoice, and the third thing is we replace. You see, this is important as well because idols are never just thrown away. We can't just say, today I'm not going to lust. Or, I'm not going to soak in this power that I have been given. We can't just cast it aside. I said this before, but we never stop worshiping because we're made to worship. We were created as worshiping beings, so we can't just cut the idols out of our life. We must replace the carved image with the perfect image. And the way we do this, you see, you see, Israel, when they were receiving these commandments from Moses, they only had words. They only had words. They only had a voice, the call, the words. There was no pure image to look to, to look at. They had nothing but idols to behold and words to take in of what God is. But we do. We have someone to look to. We have the perfect image bearer to see, to behold, to know in Jesus Christ. Now, I know we still have words. Some of you are being nitpicking. You're like, I've never seen Jesus, right? But we, we still have words, but we have an amazing description of the perfect image bearer that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. We can't physically touch Jesus, yet we have been given and shown his life, his actions, his interactions, his death, his resurrection, the real life image, a real life image 
of a pure image to behold. And so we must replace our failing images with Jesus, the perfect image. It has to be replaced. As uh, a Scottish preacher, Thomas Chalmers, said in his famous sermon, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, this is quite a title, but he's saying, Seldom do any of our habits or flaws disappear by a process of just extinction through ha- new habits or, or uh, just reasoning, telling ourselves this. But he says, by, um, he says that it happens when we see those idols dispossessed by something that's greater in our life. Does that make sense? Where we have to step back and say, okay, I have to unmask these idols, show them for what they are, and then see the power and the beauty and the glory of Christ. And when I see that and when I understand that and when I behold that that is actually greater, my heart naturally goes there because we're saying, I want that. That is a bunch of trash. That is no good for me. That's not working. I've tried it. But this, this is where it's at. We have to behold a bigger God, the glory of God that is made manifest in Jesus Christ. And if we want freedom, if we want freedom today, our hearts must melt for Jesus and behold the perfect image as the psalmist prays, O Lord, my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has, has gone from me. It's Psalm 38. We need honesty of heart laid out before God, and we have to look to the character, to the work, to the power of Jesus Christ who turns our hearts and pours out grace upon grace. So our commandment here, our commandment to not worship carved images comes with two applications. First, to understand the images, the images we carve. This is homework for us. It's actually daily homework for us because this comes out in the moments we least expect it. The idols pop out of our hearts when we least expect it, and they're there. So we've, you know, we are an idol factory, a grand idol factory, the greatest idol factory of all, and we will see those idols come off the conveyor belt of our hearts, and we'll see it over and over again. We have to understand it and see it and acknowledge it, unmask it. We have to see it. But the second is we've got to fight these idols. We have to repent We have to rejoice in the joy of the gospel and the forgiveness and grace in Christ. And we have to replace it with the beauty and the person and the work of Jesus. Look at how Moses starts these Ten Commandments. If you ever noticed this, Garrison's probably already pointed this out. If he didn't, he's been a terrible preacher. (laughs) Or he was getting to it. I'm sure you're getting to it. But look how Moses starts the Ten Commandments when he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Where does he start? Where do these Ten Commandments start? They start with freedom. 
I'm the Lord who, I'm your Lord who brought you out of slavery, who brought you into freedom, into perfect freedom with God's salvation. God's salvation is how this is brought about. This, this, these commandments are brought out. And this is our invitation into freedom. Walk in this freedom. They're not just a bunch of rules for us to say, okay, today I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I promise I'm going to, I'm going to work harder, God. No, it's, it's an invitation to freedom, an invitation to know who you are, that you have been bought with a price, that you're not of your own, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's an invitation to do this, to walk in this. So I want to end I want to end our time with a prayer. So I came across this prayer. Um, I think actually Garrison brought it out uh, years ago that has been a powerful prayer from a pastor named Scotty Smith, and he's talking about this verse in 1 John that says this little phrase, little children, keep yourself from idols. Amazing that that's at the end of the Bible, and we find this commandment here towards the beginning of the Bible. But John, John in, in 1 John, he's speaking directly with, his, with these commandments. And so I want to end with this prayer by Scotty Smith, and I want us to let it wash over us and to be our own prayer. So let's go to the Lord as we find freedom, as we, as we accept this invitation to freedom from our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Father, for us to obey John's command to keep ourselves from idols or Moses' command from you to keep a way to have no graven, carved image requires so much more than simply staying away from ancient sites, pagan temples, and man-made idols. We wish it was that simple. Father, we've never been more aware of the visible and invisible pantheons of idols that are constantly angling and clamoring for my heart's worship. We can turn anything and anyone into an idol. How we wish that as soon as you placed us in Christ that our struggle with idolatry would have ceased. That is just not the case. Or this warning would be entirely irrelevant. Father, here are a few of the things which can rise to idol status and power in our life. Sometimes the approval or the rejection of people has more sway over us than what you think about us. Sometimes our need to be right is more compelling to us than being righteous in Christ. Sometimes our desire to be in control of people and circumstances claims much more of our time and energy than seeking your face, savoring your grace, and serving your son, the true king. Sometimes our commitment to a pain-free heart is stronger than our commitment to a gospel-liberated life. These are just a few things which bear the mark of idolatry in our life. Have mercy on us, Father and free our foolish hearts from giving anything or anyone the attention, allegiance, affection, and adoration that you alone deserve. The fact that we are one of your dear children 
forgiven, secure, righteous, and beloved in Christ should be all the motivation we need to keep ourselves from every form of idolatry. May the gospel of your grace relentlessly expose and dethrone all empty things from our hearts. May the beauty of Jesus make the idols of our hearts ever so ugly. I look forward, we all look forward to the day when we will worship, love, and serve only you with all your redeemed children. So very, amen, we pray in Jesus' most excellent and worthy name. Amen.